Climbers, our good friend, our fearless leader, Brent Baxter, was out on a ledge, despondent, down, down in the dumps. And who saved him? I saved him. And you're going to want to know how I talked him off the ledge. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode, right? Ciao. Thank you. Welcome to the Climb! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business because leverage is what it takes. You have to prove that you have a working business model, that the market likes your music and wants more of it. And then everybody's going to come in to help you get to in front of more eyeballs. That's what it's all about. C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. The climb, see what we did there? That's a backstronym from my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brent Baxter, who's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady A, Joe Nichols, and more. He's got number ones in Southern Gospel. He's got top tens in Australia. He's got top 20s on Texas radio. The man is worldwide, and he wants to help you too, songwriters. He helps songwriters turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then on the regular, number three, when all those machines are working right, you got to create that relationship and get that going so that you can execute and turn that hard work into money. (laughs) And you can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Tom. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinnell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. What's up, buddy? Man, I'm I'm still emotionally recovering from our text thread the other night when I was out on that limb. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I've tried to kind of put it away and not think about the topic too much because it, it makes me a little bit sad, a little angry. Well, I got to tell you what, I'm going to make it all better for mm-hmm. you. But before we do that, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of business here. Join the Climb right. community if you haven't done so already. Make sure you go to, it's on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Climb community. You have to ask to be let in. We let everybody in, unless you look shady. A couple of those I clicked out on. Like, just started uh, Facebook. Uh-huh. Let's see, it was an old woman started Facebook like two weeks ago, and she had f- 642 friends, and all of them were like, and this is like an like an old. She looks like an old Midwestern white woman. Okay, and all all of her friends are these young like Middle Eastern Pakistanis or something. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Dude, maybe, I like, hey, I don't, may, Johnny, maybe. I don't think this is her crowd. I don't think this is who she's hanging out with. Like, <laughs> it Johnny, like the church it's, group, possible, <laughs> it's possible she's been in the mission field for the past 30, 40 years, has not had time to do Facebook, and she was in India or Pakistan because those Jesus loves those people. Came too. back, and the first thing she did upon returning to the States was follow the like, climb. <laughs> how am I going to get in touch, keep in touch with all my brothers and sisters? <laughs> that I made over the past 30, 40 years and their grandkids is I want to start a Facebook. Yeah. So, uh, you know, those don't get in, 
but we try to do our best to filter them out, guys. But we want you to be a part of it. We want to hear about your new releases. We want to hear about your wins. We want to hear about your gigs. And you got to put them as comments in the proper places. We provide the proper place to comment every single week. So don't put it in the feed. The feed is for everybody, right? You got some news, something newsworthy, something funny, something cool. Like sometimes I'll put like little videos with vulgar displays of prowess mm-hmm. on musicians or whatever, just for everybody to watch. But if it's all about you, put it in the comment. And believe me, that's where you're going to get the love. Mm-hmm. You're putting it in the feed because you want to get the love. That doesn't get you the love. That gets you roadhouse. Okay. That's right. So make sure you do that right. But every Wednesday, one of those posts that we do is called New Heights. Mm-hmm. We call it Wednesday Wins. I don't know why we named it twice, but we did. So we like the alliteration on Wednesday Wins, I guess. Brent, what do we got? We share those. All right. So every that's right. Every Wednesday we post the New Heights. You can post in there any day, but it's the new one comes out every Wednesday and you post your wins as a comment under that post. So we know where the party is. We know where to find people. And that way, if you post there, like other people get the notification, like, Oh, so-and-so commented on the same thread as you. Right. So more likely that more people are going to see your stuff. If you go where the party is, by the way. So anyway, some wins we have. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Can we just, can we just restate that? If you put your crap in the feed because you're not paying attention to what we're saying, all you're going to do is just, we're not going to pay attention to you. Everybody's going to pay attention to you. It's going to get taken down. You're probably going to get a little nasty gram from Johnny. But if you put it as a comment, everybody that's already commented on that is alerted. But exactly. It just makes sense. It works better for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's see here. Uh, so, a couple of the wins. Uh, Stephen Charles says, had a copy of a song picked up to pitch to River House, sorry, River House artist. Had an artist cut, co written with Patrick Adams and Michael McFarland, both climbers, nice. announced for November 10th, and just got word that another cut is coming out on December 11th. Here's to climbing. Heck yeah. Yeah. Good for so, them. way to go, Stephen and Patrick and Michael. That's awesome. Uh, we have another climber on here, Harry Wolf, if that is your real name, says my first co-write redeemed recorded by Blue Oyster Cult in 1972 is included on their recently uh, released 50th anniversary album. It's already earned me close to 0.006 and boosted my open mic career. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So good. Hey, don't fear the, uh, the royalty. Don't fear the royalty. Don't fear the cowbell. Another Blue Oyster Cult song. So that's cool. I'm like, he wrote a Blue Oyster Cult song and he's he's a climber. That makes me happy. That yeah, that touches me in places. Like he, first about. of all, like because he wrote a Blue Oyster Cult song. Bottom line, I don't care who you are, he will be cool forever. Yeah. So Harry, thanks for listening. That's very cool. I'm glad he shared that with us. Now let's see here. We'll finish with this one. Always more than we can get to, but this is climber Jacob Real says, released my first EP over the weekend. Wouldn't have been possible without the Climb podcast. Can't wait to hear y'all's perspective on the recent developments at Spotify. And then he clicks a link to the stuff going on at Spotify, uh, which is perfectly appropriate there because it's in the feed and it's a win and all that good stuff. So yeah, to y'all and to everyone else who posted on there, congratulations. Keep on climbing. Oh, and one more win, because I want to brag on some previous Daredevil talent. (laughs) (laughs) So last time you were in town, yes, like we had the climb, the first climb takeover, right? That went really well. And that was on Monday. And then Wednesday, that was the week of Janelle's birthday. So Wednesday, I got tickets to go see Brandy Clark. We both love Brandy Clark at the Ryman. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know that the specific date, I knew she had bought these tickets, but she had bought Alana Springsteen tickets. If y'all haven't heard of Alana Springsteen, she's a killer artist, mm-hmm. up and comer. 
And so we had two sets of tickets. We couldn't sell them, so we just gave them to Brent. Yeah. And you and Dustin Bird, who's been on the climb and who was, who was on the show on Monday, uh-huh. y'all went to go see her. And then he texts me video of the guitar player. Let me tell you this. This is funny. So Dustin and I, were, we went and wrote. And so then we caught an Uber to the show at the Exit Inn. And uh, so Dustin's an artist, producer, songwriter, all that good stuff. And and so we're on the way there. He's like, so tell me again what Johnny does, you know? And I'm like, oh, he helps people. And I told him this whole story that's been like a whole podcast episode about this guy named Jacob Cade, who's rock guitar guy. And he helped Johnny did his Facebook magic and did an ad and helped him put 400 extra butts in the seats to show up early at this place where he had no like no footprint, but he, they, John does his magic and Jacob's awesome. And they got like 400 people there to open early for like Dawkins, I think it was at a rock show. Mm-hmm. And it was like, he does that kind of magic, right? He's like, cool. That's on the way to the venue. We get to the venue and Atlanta's guitar player looks real familiar. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that looks like, and I'm telling, like, that looks like Jacob Cade. <laughs> like I was just talking about like randomly. Right. And then like, you know, they do this big solo thing with him and he's shredding on guitar. She's like, Jacob. I'm like, Dustin, that's the dude I was just telling you about. <laughs> it's been bugging me all night. That's, that's Jacob Cade right there. I was just telling you about this guy. That's him. I'm like, yeah, that sounds shady. I'm like, no, look. And so I took video, you know, and sent it to Johnny and Janelle who were at the Brandy Clark show. Yeah. And then you can pick up from there. And then I'm so, so this is where confirmation bias creeps in, right? So Jacob <laughs> is from Colorado and he just recently moved to Nashville. Like I think June. Mm-hmm. Okay. He came out here in June. So just a few short months ago. And I'm like, I'm looking at the video and it looks a lot like him, but I'm like, yeah. no, I don't, that's not him. Can't be him. That can't be him because you know why? He would have told me. <laughs> That he's got that gig, right? <laughs> right. He would have told me that. So th- actually this morning, I'm having words with him because <laughs> so unbeknownst to me, like that was him. He had that gig. So he texts me this morning about some other thing. Hey, man, I'm doing this thing. You know, he sends me a new track that he just did and mm-hmm. wanted to get some feedback on it and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, then he was asking me like, hey, can you hook me up with some people to get some opening gigs around town, mm-hmm. like at the basement and stuff like that? I'm like, yeah, man, do this, do this, this. And I said, and by the way, just make sure you tell me when you're playing because I love going to see him play, That's you know? He's like, oh, oh, yeah, it was funny, dude. He goes, yeah, we had a, I had a gig the other day at the Exit Inn, but I uh, came up real fast and I, I, I didn't tell you, sorry. And I was like, also, I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Like I said... <laughs> That's really funny because Brent told me that he was in town and I had tickets to go see Atlanta Springsteen, but I gave them to Brent and his friend Dustin and they went there and they thought they saw you. But I said, there's no way that was you. He's no, that was me. I'm like, <laughs> mother effort. Like what the hell? Dude? Like, so yeah, he's, he's on the whole tour. Like for the rest of this year, he's man. He's, yeah. He's crushing it. So. And actually, I, I went and looked at her tour doc. I want to go see him now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I went and looked at her tour stops, and she's in Australia right now. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be in Australia? And he's like, yeah, they couldn't get his work visas fast enough. So oh. so we're doing it. But that's relationships. Like, the drummer's a friend of his that got mm-hmm. the gig. They said, do you know any guitar players? He's like, yes, I do. And he said, they love me. So, that's so uh, funny. Good for Jacob Kate. I'm proud of him, man. Yeah, Great. that's awesome to see that good stuff happening for him. And, uh, and I'm no. pissed I didn't see the show. Yes. Because if I had known Jacob was going to be there, you guys would be going to Brandy Clark instead. I guess either way, <laughs> I win. In that either scenario. way, you win. So I'm not going to second guess it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just be like, I saw a good show, or I would have seen a good show. Either way, I'm glad I'm friends with Johnny. So, <laughs> all right, guys, well, listen, follow the podcast and, and <laughs> tell a friend about it, man. There's good stuff on here. We want everybody to be... Uh, 
digging this. We got more and more professionals listening to this. I got professionals calling me now that I'm like potentially doing business with. I just listened to episode 400, dude. Yeah. Love that, man. Here's what I learned. Like, I just love, I love hearing that. So oh, heck yeah. we are doing good in the world. So let's talk. Why don't you talk about the text you sent me? All right. So I was, I got an email from either, I think Nashville briefing, which by the way, Nashville briefing is a, it's a free email. They just kind of, Hey, here's some new videos that are out from people. Here's some like industry stuff. So it's a good free email. If you just want to help keep up with what's going on in Nashville, if you're a Nashville file, like I am or Nashville centric. So just the Nashville briefing. So I get that email and I don't always open them up, but you know, I was opening that one up and I looked through it and it says something about BMI putting out a, like a royalty calculator for like Spotify and Apple. I thought, Oh, well, that's cool. Let me check that out. Cause you know, we're, we're always looking to go, well, what are we going to get paid? What's this like? So apparently it says uh, legal and consulting firm Manat, Phelps and Phillips, developed a tool to calculate payouts across Spotify and Apple Music. So you basically, and we'll need to link to this in the in the show notes, but it's on Billboard, actually, billboard.com. And they have a link to that. And you just enter your streams in and it breaks it down by like sound recording earns this much, mechanical earns this much, and performance earns this much. So I thought, huh, okay, let's see, let's let's test this out. So I was testing out going, uh, what's a recent release I have that I know approximately how many streams on Spotify it has? I only put in a number there. And and I cried just a little bit because <laughs> it's not a lot. And so I put the numbers in and it kind of made me sad for this, say, one release of what my, you know, I kind of did the division on like my third of the song and da, 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 take out 10% for admin blah, 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 or whatever, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then go, oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm going to send this to Johnny, but I'm going to be a little sad about it. And that started our conversation. So, yeah. Yes. And I thought, okay, this would be a good podcast because, you know, genuinely from a songwriter perspective, I feel your pain. I know where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. We know lots of pro songwriters who've had catalogs that just aren't making them money like the radio used to make them money. Yeah. And maybe some physical product stuff, okay? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I think that, I don't think, I know, I'm right about this. I know, like, the new world, better world for you, but the business model has to change a little bit. Yeah. Okay? I think you're already kind of doing that a little bit. Well, I am. I mean, well, maybe put some numbers on this. Maybe I, I should tell a little more of the, that set that up. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about it in like big picture first. Okay. Mm-hmm. So do you know what the most played song on terrestrial radio is right now? No, I'd have to look that up on Billboard probably. Every Breath You Take. <laughs> really? Okay. That's funny. It's Is that new? <laughs> is that- At a police. Yeah. For like over, and do you know how many spins- it has that makes it the most played song on terrestrial radio worldwide. No, I'm very curious. 15 million. I mean, that's just, okay. Slow clap for Sting and the police, right? right? How old is that song? Older than a lot of our listeners. It came out in the eighties. And it's number one. Yeah. Fun. It has the most radio spins, terrestrial radio spins worldwide of any song. Oh, this is, this is like total lifetime. Total lifetime. Oh, okay. Okay. Total lifetime. Okay. Like yesterday's up there. I think Brown Eyed Girl is up there. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, so let's just talk about that. So the commission, the, the publishing on a radio spin is, I think it's 12 cents a song, right? In the United States. Yeah. It's something like that. And it's moving depending on when you hear this. So we, we just call it 12 for uh, funsies. 
simplicity. Okay, so so at fifteen million spins, that's one point eight million dollars of revenue. Uh, now that's for uh, mechanicals. Okay, this is not spins. This is twelve point one. I think it is is for mechanicals. Say if you sold fifteen million units of that song, that doesn't have to do with your PRO money with your spins. That's a different revenue stream. But so what's what is a radio station play pay for a spin? Ah, now that is a good question. That depends on size of market, right? Mm -hmm. Depends on time of day. So basically, a spin at drive time in Houston mm -hmm. is going to have a big listenership. Fourth largest city in the United States. Right. Drive time. People are in their cars. Traditionally, there are more people listening to radio. Yep. That's going to be worth a lot more in their super secret formula than, say, midnight in a small town in South Dakota. Or local right. stations. Is there the is there an average? I mean, of... I don't I don't know. That's a good question because I think the PROs kind of hold on to that. And so I'm talking from a US perspective here, because because you also have ASCAP, CSEC, and BMI, which are also getting licenses from the radio stations. Right. And so basically what they do is they have a big pool of money that comes in from their licensing from all these radio stations. And then they get the like the reports of who's getting spun where and how much. And I think they kind of take that fund and kind of divvy it out. And I'm sure that they slush some stuff around to make some of their big dogs happy and some of that stuff. It's like, that's my understanding of it is it's a little super secret slush fund sauce going on there for your radio spins. Right. You've heard those stories too of like, Hey, I got this BMI check for this much and you got it for ASCAP check for what? How much? How come that didn't match up? Well, that's a secret slush. So yeah, that's the slush. Well, yeah, because what they're going to do with the blanket money, right? Is yeah, which is where that the payouts come from, are the radio licenses. Like they uh, every radio they station, go, they don't go to the blanket fund, do they? Well, uh, like a radio station, say WKBS. A radio station have to report the songs that they, they have play. to report. But where does that money come from? That money comes from the license that they pay an ASCAP license, the BMI license, the CSAC license, and so they yes, they do have to report what they or well actually the they have to according to fcc every second of airtime is accounted for right but the pros just do their own surveys right right they do their own surveys and they survey and they're looking for bmi songs and then they do a uh, what i guess would be a statistically significant sample size survey of what's getting played that's how they determine the number ones and different stuff and and their payouts I guess Billboard may do a different thing for like who's number one, but like the PROs are doing that sampling to figure out how they divvy up the money from those licenses. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's super funky and I don't know if there's a clear answer and I don't know if they, if they want there to I be a clear answer. I think it's somewhere between like 12 and 15 cents. Like I think it's somewhere between 12 and 15 cents, okay. but I didn't know that they all, I, I thought that they were paying like, because they reported the songs that they spun, that they're paying for spins on each one of those songs, and that revenue gets attributed to that. Yeah, no. And I didn't think they have an overall broad license at terrestrial radio. Yeah, they do. They, yeah, and yeah, so they negotiate they have licenses. A, a license from the PROs to spin whatever the hell they want, and they yeah. just have to report what it is. And then they leave it for the PROs to divide it up? And they leave it for the PROs to figure out what they played and where that divides up. They're like, we pay our license. That means we can play BMI songs and ASCAP songs and CSAC songs. Right. And okay. y'all go figure out what we're doing. And, and that's the same way it works at your clubs, too, when you're playing live music at a club, cover yeah. band, stuff like that. Like that's yeah, why the you don't club get has, a, has a license. They're not reporting what all gets played in the club. So, like, I had to... 
when I was with ASCAP, I'm with the BMI now, but when I was with the ASCAP, I had, you know, you mentioned on the, on the intro, like some love in Texas. So I had a song armadillo that was recorded by junior Gordon hit the top 10 in Texas. This was several years ago. So my first top 10 in Texas, like hit number 10 for like a week or two, I guess a week. And then, you know, bounce back out, but I've never had a charting song in Texas before. And I'm like, I'm curious how this is going to work out. So I'm waiting for that. You know, I'm, not waiting around, but when that statement comes in, I'm like, Ooh, this You're curious to see what that looks like. That period of when that was on Texas radio, I'm wondering how this shows up. How's it going to compare to like Canadian stuff I've had? I'm just curious. Song wasn't on the report at all for that period. Like ghost, wow. right? ASCAP is like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I call them up and they're like, it never hit the survey. I'm like, it was a top 10 in Texas. It charted. It, like, it was getting played. Yeah. So it was getting played on a mix of like mom and pop stations and probably a couple bigger stations, right? To hit the top 10. Yeah. And they're like, never hit the survey. I'm like, I can send you a screenshot of the chart. They're like, it's got to hit the survey. So they don't, they don't know everything that's getting played all the time. That's their, in that case, an ASCAP song. Right. They just survey and it just didn't happen to get played during the survey time. So I got no money off that. Okay. Well, so, okay. So right here, like, first of all, this goes to my argument. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like you're literally calling up your PRO going W T A F. Here's a top 10. Why doesn't even show up on this report? And they're like, what's that? Like, we don't even know. Yeah. So there's a million, you don't know who did, who did something wrong or what happened in there, but how the hell does a, a song get enough spins to get it to be charting in the top 10 and doesn't show up on the radar screen? It wasn't of your played on the stations they were surveying when they were surveying, right? Oh, that's what it is. Because if they don't survey, survey everything, it's survey. random. It's a survey sample, like Nielsen ratings, right? Hey, do you want to be a Nielsen family? Well, this was last year, wasn't it? No, no. This was like 2013, 14, something like that. This was like 10 years ago when this happened. This is a while back. Still, we had laptop computers then. How freaking difficult is it to get everybody connected to make a damn... Yeah, so they know exactly... To get a real... Act. Why, why do this survey? Well, so they can get a statistically significant sample size of like, oh, this is kind of how the pie is getting split. Why do you need a statistically significant sample size when you can get all the data? Well, that is a good question, Johnny. Why not just get all the data? You know, that what I mean? is like a good question. Yes, because you know that the radio stations know because they have to account for that. It's FCC stuff, right? They have to know yeah. what it, what all's being used. Yeah. So, I mean, they do it for TV, right? If something's getting played, do they know all the news, all that stuff? Well, because they, yeah, because with broadcast television. Okay, before it was digital. Now, by the way, TV's digital. Like the TV frequencies that they used to use to broadcast television, mm -hmm. they're bad. The government owns them now. They're not. They don't even owned by the stations or whatever by the networks with mm -hmm. FCC licenses. They're it's all digital now. Okay, like so, all your your NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox, mm -hmm. all digital. They do not use the UHF or the VHF frequencies anymore. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, Johnny. I've gone from being depressed about my streaming rates to being depressed about radio too. Thank you. That's helped a lot. I'm back out on the ledge, crawling back out now. <laughs> well, this is going to help. Yeah. This is going to help. Okay. So, okay. When you talk about the overall, like the big picture stuff, let's, let's first start out by saying that prior to streaming, the record industry was a $75 billion a year industry. Mm -hmm. 
That's how big the whole industry was worldwide. With the B. Right? All right. With the B. And remember when we predicted like years ago on this podcast, I said, when a streaming takes off, we are going, it's, they're going to surpass that, right? Mm-hmm. Be, because it was, the, I think it was the, the same year, I think it was 2017. It was the same year that the record business had hit rock bottom, mm-hmm. right? When they went from a $75 billion a year industry to like a $15 billion a year industry in 2017. And Spotify had just kind of taken hold into the public lexicon and they had the most amount of streams ever right and so and at that same time that same year electronic gaming had exploded to mm-hmm. a seven 150 billion dollar a year industry yeah and i said because it's digital and everybody can access it so i said that's what's going to happen to the record industry mark my words well guess what we're there mm-hmm. we're, we're at like 150 161 billion dollars in revenue wow already in 2023 when you know what happened it was streaming so how did that happen right why did that happen Mm -hmm. because think about like you i mean the big the big thing like you get a gold record back in the day right that's a it's 500,000 records in the united states yeah that's enough to keep your record deal right yeah and platinum's even better yeah right a really really good freaking record three four million right triple quadruple platinum Mm -hmm. but the Big, big records, right? The big ones. We get maybe, how many of those do you get a year? Maybe three or four, mm-hmm. maybe five across. Like, that number is 10 million plus. Yeah, diamond. Right? Yeah. The diamond. Okay. So 10 million records, lots of money being made, no doubt about it. Okay. But that's the extent of the amount of consumers mm-hmm. that went out and paid for that music, right? Yeah. Now, with Spotify, I believe they have over just Spotify alone, 250 million paid subscribers, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't include Apple's, who says they've got 150 million paid subscribers. Mm-hmm. Doesn't include Amazon. Everybody with Amazon Prime automatically gets Amazon Music. So the point is that there are now exponentially more people paying yeah. to consume music on a regular basis than. There ever was before. Yeah. And I suspect that people who are still happy listening to radio, when radio goes under and it's going to end, mm-hmm. it's going to come to an end at some point just because the money's not there. Yeah. Right. They can't stay afloat. So when that happens, then I think more people are going to be kicked onto the streaming platforms. So it's even going to get even bigger because they like music. Yeah. But they say, I'm going to get it for free as long as I get it for free. And then all of a sudden, you know what? 10 bucks a month, not a bad deal. Right. Yeah. All right, so the pie is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, okay? Yes. And what else happens is that the pie is now decentralized, right? Mm -hmm. In order to go make that money, I don't need to have a record deal and I don't need to be on radio for the artists, right? Yeah. So the market grows. So let's just start with terrestrial radio and the way it used to work. Let's take like every breath you take, as big as you can get. Okay, there was millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars made off of this. There's no doubt about it. Right. Oh, yeah. The record, mm-hmm. the tour, the merch, the publishing on this, etc. Okay. But without streaming, take that out of the picture, right? Mm-hmm. This comes and it goes. Right. It's a big hit for a while and then it's over. Right. Yeah. And how did record labels figure out to exploit those old copyrights a second time? The big ones. I mean, you have, well, sync, but you have greatest hits records. 
you have greatest hits records, yeah. right? More product to sell, and those sell really well. Well, yeah, for record labels, even recurrent airplay doesn't help them out if they don't have publishing on it because they got to sell product, right? Because they don't make money. Right. It's not like Europe where the artist gets money from just being on the radio. So it's like, let's do hits packages, special event, like the Blue Oyster Cult thing, you know, their 50th anniversary edition. Yeah. Uh, let's tell some more Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, exactly. Exactly. But that's how they did. They kept, you know, the, the greatest hits yeah. thing, that the essential. Yeah. Brent Baxter. Like that's- 20th Century Masters. Yeah. And then the the remastering. That was another one. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Remastered for CD, remastered for- Laser disc. For this yeah. or for that. Another excuse to go sell a million- pieces of product right at at, at a profit mm-hmm. but there was a limited life okay now you are let's say you're the biggest bob dylan fan on the planet mm-hmm. okay i mean the biggest like every single piece of product that bob dylan has put out you own it yes you own the first cd you own the last cd release you own the box set the greatest hits the re-records the essentials the remasters everything bob dylan you own it yeah how are you listening to Bob Dylan today? Digital. There you go. Because it's convenient. Yes. And what happens every time you listen to it digitally? Somebody's making money. Revenue's created. Yeah, revenue's created. Revenue's created, right? So you're saying I need to get on some Bob Dylan records. <laughs> what I'm hearing here. What's all this one in a million stuff? Okay. <laughs> so now, like, so, so the way that record labels were set up before, we know, because good climbers listen to this show all the time, know that the surprising number on in the record industry of who made money and who didn't right Mm -hmm. like nine major record labels back in the day when everything was popping on all cylinders and there was no streaming there's only two choices to listen to music Mm -hmm. and they own the radio they own the airwaves and each of those major record labels had about 500 artists signed to the label across all genres total Mm -hmm. and only 25 of them made any money yeah only 5% of the investments that they made in other artists made money. Why? Tyranny of space. They weren't a bandwidth. They weren't getting enough radio airplay. People didn't know they were there. They weren't selling records. In order to, to make money like that, you had to have an, a bigger audience, a big audience. Mm-hmm. And in order to have a big audience, the, had to get on radio. It had to be on radio. I mean, there are just a very few artists that figured out ways around it without radio. Metallica was one. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy I mean, yeah, Grateful Dead. Probably yeah. Some. yeah. So there, there's, a, there's a handful, but the, by far the vast, 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 you know, 99% of all the brand name artists that have multi-million dollar brand names got there because they were on radio and they only play 12 songs an hour and they have rotational format programming. So I would venture to guess that uh, your average radio station is spinning somewhere between probably 28 and 40 songs a week. Mm -hmm. And for those same songs for like months, right? Mm -hmm. So how many total song, how many total different songs does a radio station play any given year? Right? Probably less than a hundred yeah. Maybe a hundred. Crazy. Like over the course of a 365 days, mm-hmm. we're gonna spend a hundred different songs, right? Yeah. So very, very close club, tyranny of space, right? And we figured out that through uh, just going back and doing the math on that, that there was literally from 1960 to now, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,700 artists that have gotten to the level of notoriety where they have multi-million dollar brand names mm-hmm. in 60 years. Yeah. Right. 2,700 artists, give or take a few hundred. 
Okay. Yeah. Even give or take a thousand. That's an astonishingly low number. Yeah. For 60 years. Right. So what we have now is definitely a situation where per stream rate could be, I mean, the, the difference on this calculator mm-hmm. between Apple and Spotify is astonishing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty big percentage difference. It's almost double. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What Apple pays out versus Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. So God bless Apple. Go listen to Apple. So there is a life cycle on a record on terrestrial radio, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it's done, it's done. It could be reissued under our greatest hits. It could be, but, but uh, so of all the artists signed to a record label, only 5% of them get on the radio. Mm-hmm. And of those 5% that get on the radio, how many of them have hits? Yeah. How many of them turn into artists with a long career and are not like a one hit wonder or a two hit wonder? Mm-hmm. Right. They're, I mean, the average, I think, lifespan is like seven years, seven albums yeah. of the artists. That's your average between your one hit wonder and the Rolling Stones. Right. I've been doing it for 60 years. Yeah. So it's not a big window. Right. To make it happen. And then the product is sold. On the market, the product is purchased, the physical product is purchased, game over, I own it, now it's good, and it goes into my library, and the only way I'm going to buy it again is something happens to it, right? If it gets wrecked. Yeah. And I really, really love that album, but otherwise, it's not a cons- it's sold once. That's why they had to figure out greatest hits, right? Yeah. But they had to figure out remastering all that stuff, right? To try to breathe more life into that. So now we have streaming. It's on demand, right? Mm-hmm. And you have songs that are, I mean, regularly these big artists are getting 100 million streams. Mm-hmm. If you're Taylor Swift, you're getting a billion streams, right? Yeah. A billion streams. Like, and you have, I think, doesn't she have like a billion monthly listeners? Didn't she cross that? <laughs> I don't know. That's ridiculous. That's insane. <laughs> How do you do that? So now it's evermore, right? It can be used all the time because it's on demand. So how is it that the record label with this in from 2017 when they were at 15 billion to 2023, six years later, jump up to more than double the best year that they ever had Mm -hmm. because people are streaming more music. More people are paying for music. More people are streaming the music. Okay. A stream lives on. It lives on in a playlist, Mm -hmm. right? There are playlists that are out there that have regular steady traffic that have no new material on there. They're not like a Spotify editorial playlist that's constantly being curated with the new stuff this Friday that came out. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, these are my favorite songs and somebody hits it and the search is right and they got a a huge amount of traffic. Those songs get an incredible amount of streams because people continue to listen to them and they can do that at will. So not only do you have more people consume paying to consume music, okay? Mm-hmm. But also each individual person's consuming each piece of music more, right? Mm-hmm. Because even if you own the product, like the Bob Dylan example, you're still streaming because it's just more convenient. Yeah. Right. And every time you stream, you're generating revenue for somebody. Okay. For somebody, you're right. So a stream lives on, a single goes on the radio and then it comes off the radio, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the biggest success stories that song might be on radio playlists for a year. Mm-hmm. But what do you say the average amount of lifespan of a single is on terrestrial radio back in the day? Like nine months, six months? Eh, maybe something like that, I guess. Yeah. You hear quite a bit. Okay. So as a songwriter, from your business perspective, right, on the terrestrial radio side of the table here, mm-hmm. 
you have to get to be writing with an artist that's one of the 25 out of the 500 that's going to get on the radio. Yeah. You also have to have the song on the album of the artist that gets on the radio be the one that's on the radio. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Now, back in the day, having a cut on a big record still made a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You go platinum. On the mechanical you can, sales. Yeah, just having one song on a platinum record would generate 91 grand when the statutory rate was 9.1 cents per album sold. Yeah. If you're a solo writer owning your publishing, you just made 91 grand off some album cut that went platinum. Yeah. Yep. Not bad. Not bad. And so you see how that it's like, it's like literally you're friggin' Luke Skywalker trying to shoot those two missiles into that two meter wide thing on the whole death star yeah. to make that living. Right. Yeah. And it's a good living that you can make. Okay. Yeah. But that means that in order to get to that, artist that's on that label that may be the artist that's chosen to be put on the radio which you may have the song that actually gets on the radio mm -hmm. right and then to do that a lot yeah <laughs> like to do it again once you did it once yeah i mean man i mean that is a whole lot of networking to very few people yeah right very few people and it's a very much of a closed club well now we have a situation where artists don't need permission to make money on their music, right? Mm -hmm. And we had we did the math in, in 2021 with that Spotify report, and we figured out that out of the 13,400 artists who were paid at least $50,000 in Spotify money just for streaming, okay? Mm -hmm. when, when we backed out all of the major label artists, when we backed out the current major label artists and the multi-million dollar brand is, it was like, give or take a thousand, like 8,400 indie artists who never would have a record deal, who would never get on the radio. Yeah. That had figured out a way to generate $50,000 in streaming money from Spotify as crappily as they pay. Yeah. Okay. And then the next year, it went up to 16,500. So 3,100 new artists in 2021, 3,100 more artists in 2021 than in 2020 figured out a way to make at least $50,000 in streaming just from Spotify. Which, by the way, is about 10,050,000 streams. 10,050,000 streams. There you go. According to this calculator, to get up to about, if you own, if you wrote it by yourself and own it, publishing and everything. Own the master, in, yeah. You're, mm -hmm. It says like it's like 48,000. So, yeah. There you go. Right. So we did not sign three. Keep, keep in mind, by the way, that the record business at in 2017 at 15 billion in gross revenue was three labels yeah. and a handful, three majors, not nine, and a handful of like really stout indie labels. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, most people don't know, like Morgan Wallen's on an indie label. He's on Big Loud. Like, yeah, he's not on Warner. He's not on Sony. He's not on Universal. Right. So how does like all of a sudden it shrinks to its lowest and then it just skyrockets past the previous high, yeah. right? And, and crushes the goal. It's like, it's astounding, okay? Because of streaming, the song continues to live on. It continues to get traffic, right? Yeah. So there's actually more money to be made per song streaming than on radio. Yeah, I mean, okay? I, would, I would say kind of where I come in on this, because ultimately I am a, and I am an optimist, otherwise I wouldn't have stuck around this business this long. It almost seems like it's gone from the music business has gone from fattening up tens of people to starving millions. 
<laughs> like more people are in it. They're just all starving, even though there's more food being handed out or earned, I guess. So what I did was I was looking up what got me kind of depressed. I was like, okay, let's see, you know, maybe some of these indie cuts that I've been getting and kind of where they're talking about their streaming numbers and to see what uh, what might come in off something like this. So let I just put in like 150,000 streams say a three-way ride. So you like 150,000 streams. Spotify pays all in $720. Apple Music is 1,320, so almost double. So I was just looking at that going, okay, so that's, you know, 150,000 How many streams is that? 150,000. So this is spread across Spotify and Apple. Okay. I guess it's 150,000 for each, you know, so say 150,000. So I'm like, okay, sound recording. So whoever owns the master, so like would be the label or if the artist owns the masters, the artist, 555 bucks. So they're making a lot more than publishing pays, right? Yep. Because publishing is total of, let's see, 165. So if you are the, the labels make a lot more than the publisher on those spins. Mm-hmm. So 165, you have $89 in mechanical, $76 in performances. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because... What they figured out with streaming is it's a split mechanical and performance. Like radio play is just performance. There's no mechanical. Record sales is just mechanical, no performance. For streaming, they do this kind of hybrid thing. It's kind of a mechanical. For the record, the, the mechanical royalty that he's talking about is the copyright, right? That goes to the songwriters. Well, no, mechanical and performance, That's those are two different publishing revenues. But it's all publishing. Right. But the performance being that, like, if you go, if when Van Halen did You Really Got Me, they didn't make any money off of the publishing on radio, even though that was a big hit for them. Correct. Right. It like, the it went to the Kings who wrote the song, but there's no performance paid because Van, it's Van Halen's version of it that's creating the revenue. Right. That doesn't matter to terrestrial radio. There's a backdoor deal that terrestrial American terrestrial radio made with Congress back in the 30s. Like, oh, that's too much. We don't want to pay that, so we're just going to pay the songwriters, mm-hmm. not the performances. That, by the way, not the case in Europe. in Europe. Right. But it is the case in Europe for you if you're an American songwriter because Europe – doesn't reciprocate. <laughs> they were they reciprocate the fu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so unless you got a European address, you're not getting paid for those performances as an American right. on European radio because we're not paying their artists. So that makes sense. So yeah, so mechanical performance are both go to publishers and writers. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing the math and I said, okay, 150,000 streams. Uh, say if it's a three-way and I own my publishing. So mechanical. So you divide that by three is I've made. Uh, basically 30 bucks mm-hmm. uh, mechanicals on 150,000 streams performance call that $76 divided by three at the three of us, 25 bucks. So about $55. And that's assuming I own my publishing. If somebody else owned my publishing, it's 2750. That's actually the writer share in 2750. That's publisher share, depending on your publishing deal. And if you're recouped, unrecouped, you know, so many, many things factor into that. But say I'm self-published right now. So, you know, if I'm getting a a new song recorded out there, 150,000 streams, I made about 55 bucks. That's when it gets to me, minus any admin fees from people that collect my money, like Blue Water. You know, they they have a fee that they take out for collecting that stuff and make sure it gets to me. So I'm like, right, all right. So I see, oh, 150,000 streams on Say on Spotify, cool. I made about fifty-five bucks. 
it's more. It's about double that. So it's about a hundred bucks if it's Apple, if it's one hundred fifty thousand streams on Apple, and hopefully you're getting streams in more than just one platform. But I'm like, okay, well that's uh, so I need about six hundred thousand streams, uh, say a month to cover some grocery. No, no, more like a week to cover my groceries. <laughs> this is where I started getting out on that limb, like figuring out, like, oh my goodness, as a songwriter, not as a performer, going. Holy crap, I got to get a lot of streams every week to cover my groceries. Like if I'm counting on that to feed my family. So that's what I'm looking at. Okay, yeah. That, no, that's right. That's right. This is right. Okay, but listen, to restate what we talked about earlier in this episode, that in 2022, I'm sorry, in 2020, there was about 8,400 indie artists mm -hmm. that figured out how to make at least $50,000 just in streaming, just from Spotify, which according to you was like, it's actually a little more, it's like more like 11 million streams, isn't it? Like To make 50 grand? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Let me do my math again. Let me put that in there. Six. Yeah. It's like 11 million streams, 10,000, 10,500,000 streams. So, 8,400 artists, first of all, 8,400 artists created at least 11 million streams each in 2020, okay? Mm -hmm. Indie artists, indie artists, like without record deals, without anything, okay? And then, so so I think, like right now, you're looking at the arts of the artists that you're working with that aren't label artists, Brent, are doing 100,000 streams, right? They're they're baby artists. They're yeah. growing. Okay. But these are seeds that you're planting. Okay. Like for instance, with John Stork, who we just had on, mm -hmm. whose episode will come after this one. But so I think you need to be thinking in terms of like 10 million streams plus, right? Yeah. Because then in 2021, all of a sudden it's not 8,400. It's more like, it's more like 11,500 artists mm -hmm. that made at least 10 million streams of traffic each mm -hmm. on Spotify. Yeah. Making that kind of money. And odds are those right? can be the artists with catalog that cumulatively over their different songs are getting 10 million streams. So let's talk about that too. So this is another thing I want to say. So I like, like with Mackenzie O'Brien, right? Like she has a catalog that's bigger than Josh. We just started releasing on right mm -hmm. so she has a lot more streams as a result of the promotions that she's pushing on her current releases with us she gets a lot of ancillary free streams because people go down that rabbit hole and it's right there mm -hmm. to go down right yeah by the way improves her popularity score it has all these other benefits so yes that same thing with this podcast right because we have a catalog of this podcast we were able to make money on this podcast network, more money than other podcasts. Why? Because we have over 650 episodes now, mm -hmm. you know, that people can go down and they will consume because they like it because it's there, it's on demand. Okay. So before, and you know this, Brent, because I mean, you had a, a big hit with Alan Jackson's song mm -hmm. and you got a truckload of money. That was awesome. And then it was like a desert, right? Like all of a it, sudden it's the curve, you know, it comes up the cliff, then it's, you know, when it peaks and it's in the top five and then it starts coming off and whoop, downside. And then you get long tail and you, you know, not making off. It's not as much of a recurrent as some of Alan's other like Chattahoochee and that kind of stuff. It's not getting the recurrent spins of a Chattahoochee or a 
some of his other because uh, it's a it's a ballad and not an up tempo song. That's definitely part of it. Yeah, and he has so many number ones to choose from. You're like, oh, we're gonna play some Alan Jackson. We're gonna play Tall Tall Trees or something. So okay, so now let's talk about let's talk about the remember the interview with Tony Lane in Denmark, right? Where he was like, man, you know, it's 1,500 songs you got to write mm-hmm. and submit to get the one that makes some money. Yeah. Right. And that's Tony Lane. Okay. Yeah. Like of all the songwriters that have made money. I mean, I go and I look at like, you know, we've got the songwriting festival coming up. It's November 11th. When does this drop? Uh, this, um, uh, let's see, this is going to drop on it. So right before that November, like seventh, probably. Okay. So if you're in Arizona, come to see the songwriting festival on November 11th in Gilbert. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. David Lee Murphy's the headliner. He wrote, you know, he's as an artist, he's got big hits with Dust on the Bottle, and mm-hmm. which is just a staple on radio and a staple on Broadway and party crowd. But he's written far bigger hits yeah. for all your favorite artists. You know, we've got D. Vincent Williams. We've got Barrett Baber. We've got Joe Leathers. If you go look at the average songwriter, like hit songwriter's resume, very few look like Ashley Gorley or None of Shane them, actually. Right. They've got like maybe they've got five or 10 hits spread out over 25 or 30 years. Yeah. And that's it. And they're doing really well. Yeah. So here, the difference between potential artists that you could write with to make money with just from one year from 2020 to 2021 grew by 18 Mm percent. Artists who can make money. Right. And generate revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay. In a previous episode, remember, we talked about how record labels weren't breaking artists anymore. Radio's not working. And one of the comments that was made by, this was a Billboard article that we were unpacking, by the way, if you didn't listen to it, it's worth going back to listen to. But a bunch of record executives were anonymously interviewed. And what are they saying? Like, they are switching their business models away from depending on big, huge hits Mm -hmm. to generate the revenue that they need to keep the lights on and be number one, stay in business, and number two, hopefully make a profit, to what? Like having a bunch of artists, like 30 artists signed that are going to hit solid bass hits. Yeah. Right? Solid singles, solid doubles. They're not going for the Grand Slam anymore because they don't think that can happen. So I think for writers out there, and then the final thing is, when I say that the song lives on and continues to make money, Before streaming, y'all, you don't hear and would never hear anything about the Bruce Springsteens and the Stevie Nicks and Pink Floyds getting offered insane amounts of money for their catalogs, right? Mm -hmm. Because they wrote those songs. Those songs continue to make money. Again, if you're the biggest Stevie Nicks fan, you know, you're not listening to the records, you're streaming it. Yeah, That's what you're doing. And so every single day you listen to Stevie Nicks, you're generating revenue for that publishing copyright, okay? Mm -hmm. And because it keeps going and going and going and going and they're capitalizing on it completely, it creates a predictable revenue stream that people can go it's like Wall Street, right? When you buy a stock from Apple, let's say, or from GM or from whatever, from some huge blue chip company, you're betting on their repeated ability to generate cash flow, consistent cash flow, mm-hmm. because people borrow money against that to go start up other businesses and grow the country, right? And grow the world and create new technologies. Yeah. Well, they're for the first time ever now, the music business revenue has become predictable. Mm-hmm. 
it's predictable, right? It's predictable enough that they've turned big, huge catalogs from the Bob Dylans and the Bruce Springsteens and the Pink Floyds into blue chip stock asset class investments where BlackRock and these big, huge companies that handle everybody's pensions and all that crap are in. They're Mm -hmm. in on it. They would never touch the music business with a 10-foot pole before. But now they are. Why? Because the predictable revenue is there. So for a writer, man, the more that, first of all, it's not just about, it's still about the music, but you can exploit way more copyrights now that generate money, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Like say like a McKenzie thing before. Well, okay. So the Alan thing, I make decent on streaming from that. Mm-hmm. Probably still more terrestrial radio. I haven't done head to head comparison, but probably that just because it, generate so much more per spin than streaming does, mm-hmm. but it, it's helping right. that long tail. It's almost found money. It's like, it's helping that long tail of a hit mm-hmm. for an artist like McKinsey. The only money I would have made would have been like, Hey, selling records out of your trunk or at the show, pay me for that, which is, I'm not talking about McKinsey, but just in general for an indie artist, that'd be pretty spotty to try and track down that money. Right. Yeah, you're not going to get that from an artist. You're you're going to go in the gas tank. Yeah. I've had those situations where you're like, oh, oh, I know I cut a couple of your songs. I need to get it to you. But um, I never saw a penny. Mm -hmm. So on what what it makes me think about is going, okay, if I'm spending the time with an unknown artist who doesn't have big numbers, they better put the freaking song out. Or I've wasted several hours where I'm not going to... Now, here's the thing. As songwriters, we always waste a lot of hours. Waste, I use in air quotes, because anytime we're working, we're writing, we're buying a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. But going, okay, if I'm right with this artist, even the the win is much smaller, right? Mm-hmm. Even like what we're aiming for is a much smaller win that could probably happen if, if they're unknown mm-hmm. versus a day where I'm swinging for Kenny Chesney or something that could like make six figures. Right. It may make nothing. It may make six figures. You know, mo- most times it makes nothing, that sort of thing. But what it makes me look at going, okay, this is an indie artist. They're looking at stuff for them. Oh, I want to have a really freaking good batting average on that. Yeah. Because if they put it out, yeah, it may have some long tail, but I got to at least hit 150,000 streams on this. You know, so I end up getting. But let's, let's, but yes, but let's, uh, here's what I want you to think about. Okay. Like, because the four minute mile has been broken, sir. Okay. Mm -hmm. The four minute mile, let's say is an indie artist without record label representation who can manage to generate 10 million streams. Mm -hmm. Okay. 10 million streams. Mm -hmm. So what do you make on 10 million streams? Well, it depends if I'm on all all 10 million songs on all 10 million streams. Right. So that's, it could be off a hundred songs, which is. 100,000 streams a song if they got 100 songs out there. Fair, 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 fair. fair. <laughs> what, is, what do you make on 10 million streams? That's the question. Let's see. 10 million streams. Publishing makes about 10 grand off Spotify. Another 16 off Apple. So if we're talking Spotify, where most of the streaming is, 10 grand goes to the writers and publishers to be divided. Okay. So, you know, we had... 8,400 artists that generated this kind of traffic mm-hmm. in 2020. Then we had 
like 11,500 that generated this kind of traffic mm. in 2021. I haven't looked at the number for 2022. Yeah. But it's growing exponentially, right? As mm. people are figuring out two things. Number one is that Spotify's distribution is not marketing. So we're going to have to work it to get it there. Okay. And then you've got guys like me trying to figure out how to build that on ramp mm -hmm. for my artists to editorial playlisting where we get these free streams and everything. Okay. Before where you're only going to, over a 30 year period, you're only going to maybe get 10 or 15 copyrights exploited really well mm -hmm. that are going to make you money. Now you can have 50, yeah. 60, 70 a year making varying levels. Yeah. Of income. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if we have artists that have gone from zero to 10 million streams in a year, right? 3,100 new artists figured out how to do that. Mm -hmm. Then how big of a stretch is it to go from 10 million to 100 million? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's the thing. I mean, to me as a writer, I'm looking at going, okay, where are my best bets for trying to yeah. pick a good horse, right? Who has potential and mixing like the potential with the people that are further up the ladder. Of course, you know, as many as you can get further up the ladder, right. do that. Right. I mean, I'm always, I'm giving preference to people that have the record deals that have the, have the streams, all that kind of stuff. But when I'm looking at it, like a more of a spec, right. Yeah. Going, okay. I'm looking at their numbers too. I'm looking at their stuff and going, sure. all right, if we get a cut, it looks like that should pay for the day. You know, and you do start stacking those up and over over time. And as a songwriter, none of us should be banking our future on one song. No, right. That's the thing of blue collar, working class. I'm here to get a whole bunch of cuts. Yeah. Every year and start. And so that little tributary, that little stream gets wider and wider and deeper and deeper over time. And hopefully, you know, you get some hits along the way to beef that up, turn the spigot on for a while. Yeah. And before it squeezes back down again well so when you think about like investing okay money mm -hmm. it's common knowledge that you're absolutely crazy to have all your money in like one stock yeah right yeah. So what do they say they say you got to diversify, diversify. Your money, right because you know god forbid that you've got all your money invested in apple it's doing really good and somehow the ceo gets caught with a pale asian boy with one leg <laughs> you know is in a cage in his basement right. and you're like oh my god like then yeah. everybody what happened to bud light done toast yeah. So the stock tanks and you're screwed on your money, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like when you go and look at, when you do some of those breakdowns of writers on albums, like the Morgan Wall and stuff, there's a lot of usual suspects around any given particular artist, isn't yeah. there? Mm -hmm. Right? Those are the ones that artists likes to write with and they're having success with it. That It's yeah. not broke. They're not going to fix it, right? They shouldn't. So it's tricky to get in there. And then all of a sudden something happens to that artist. They stop. They, God forbid, they get hit by a bus or something, whatever. Yeah. There, there it is. Now their revenue stream's gone. But looking at it this way through diversification and you're laying all those eggs out there, if you've got 50, 60, 70 artists, all these relationships are making you money. You That's know what I mean? And if you one have goes to, sideways- You have to be hustling. You're not impacted that much. You have to be hustling yeah. to- I mean, you know, there's a, there's a Canadian independent artist that my buddy Aaron Goodman brought me in on to write with. Like, hey, I'm co-producing. This artist, you know, she's a sweetheart. She's good, whatever. We're writing some for her project. I'm like, all right. Because Aaron's a buddy of mine. I love writing with Aaron. If I get in a room with Aaron, it's a good day. Let's do this, even though we're not writing for him. Mm -hmm. Well, I've written four songs with this artist. She's cut all four. Mm -hmm. And so far, two of them have been released to radio. The other two are still in the can. I'm like, 
Okay. All right. That's a good day. That's a win. That's a net positive day. For one thing, it doesn't take all day to write anyway. So I'm still doing other stuff and investing in other things in a day. But that I go, okay, that's it. That pays for the day. That makes you feel fine. You know, she's independent. It's not going to get massive radio airplay. It's not going to chart, but it's bringing in some, it's bringing in revenue Mm -hmm. for a day. I got to hang out with some people I enjoy. Yeah. And other things like McKenzie, you know, I have a good batting average with McKenzie songs. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's cash flow positive day. Let's go. And it mm-hmm. will continue to be as long as she has stuff up on streaming and mm-hmm. and as long as those platforms are there. And so that's why I look at it and go, okay, in between the the bigger charting things, like you just got to be hustling. You got to be hustling. Yeah. You got to be doing your due diligence and going, okay, does this person – do they have numbers already? Do I feel like they're going to have the numbers? Do they feel like they know what they're doing and they're going to be working hard? Because it's an investment and it is kind of a long-term thing too. Well, how about, yeah. And how about like figuring out a way to scrub Spotify for using the Discovered On to find other indie artists mm-hmm. that you see are up and coming? A lot of them, especially for a writer like you, where you've got a couple of feathers in your cap mm-hmm. that really matter to the kind of artists that you want to write with. Yeah. They're going to take that call. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're going to be like, you know, hey, man, just letting you know if you're interested, love to write with you. Like, I love what you're doing. I see what you're doing and, mm-hmm. and it's sounding good and blah, blah, blah. So I just think that before it was just so, it's going to be much more volume of content now mm-hmm. and less like big hits. Yeah. I mean, I like going with, if I'm writing with some of these indie artists going, I hope they cut it and release it. I like that hope better than I hope they get a record deal one day. Yes. And I'm along for the ride. Yeah. Cause that, used yeah. To, that used to be the conversation of, oh, I hope they get signed somewhere. And then maybe, you know, well then I'm on the bus. Hope maybe the song makes a record. Yeah. Right. Like, and so that is better and then going. You hope the song's going to be a single. Yeah. Cause now it doesn't even matter. Like if you got a song on the record, it's not a single. You're just as broke. You know what I mean? Like you're not making it. Yeah, you're not you're not making much. You hope they have a hit, so at least you get some downstream streams. Yeah, so that can be better for you. It's good. It's more, but it's better for your brand than it is for your pocketbook, right? That's oh, it's better on the wall than it does on the wallet sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so then the final thing that I'll say is this: it's it's it is a we're still in the middle of this, y'all. Where Spotify is just for what they're bringing to the table, it's making too much money. Like it's just not going to last that long. Right. But, you know, with the stuff that, that, I mean, Taylor Swift just released 1989, her version of 1989, Mm -hmm. which is putting a huge dent in Shamrock Capital's investment of her first six. Because that record alone, 1989, was 30% of all her traffic to all six records streaming. 30% of it was to 1989. Mm -hmm. And then, Reputation was the second one, which is probably like another 25%, something ridiculously huge. Yeah. So like two records are like more than half of all of the revenue that's being created. And she started with the the smallest ones. What's my point? She owns the traffic, okay? She owns the masters. Mm -hmm. She owns everything. The label helps her. That's what they do. So this is where this works. At some point, y'all, radio is going to drop out. It's just going to stop. Yeah. And then this is going to be the way that it's done anyway. But the relationship that Spotify has with the music business is is going to inevitably end the way that we know it at some point. Does that mean Spotify is going away? No. But you better damn sure know that the writers 
are going to get more money mm. because it's your work. The more this indie thing grows, right, the more it's decentralized, the more leverage that you have with this whole thing. Because the bottom line is that if the artists own the traffic, whatever they're paying the label and Spotify for streams is too much, right? Yeah. So that said, I mean, way back when we talked about, when we were kind of on a little blockchain kick there, mm -hmm. one of the companies we mentioned was a company called Audius, which was like the Spotify of blockchain, right? But they yeah. weren't out yet. So we read the white paper on them. Like, here's what they're going to do. Here's what this is about. They're basically directly paying artists for the traffic that they create. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I just signed up for them today. They just released as beta. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're trying out some different things. And when you own the traffic, okay, like well, I'm trying to come up with a, with a reason for this, but let's just say you make the world's best burritos. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say you make the world's best burritos. And if you go and, and you make them in bulk and you're going to go sell them to this local store, down the street, and they're going to pay you like a buck a burrito for them, right? And then that becomes like a big deal, right? The store's getting a lot of traffic now. Everybody loves those freaking burritos. Yeah. And then the bigger block store, the big box store comes down and says, you know what? We want to get those burritos too. We'll pay you $1.50 a burrito. Yeah. Right? What are you going to do? Go with a better deal. Probably go with the better deal, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So right now, everybody's still scared. Because Spotify, don't rock the boat. Certainly, that's what radio is. Don't rock the boat because it's already sunk. And if you rock it, it may be your cabin that you get caught in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Literally, you have radio looking at Spotify to determine who's popular enough to get on the radio because we can't afford to bleed any more customers. Right. We need to make sure everybody's happy. So it is dying, right? But with the traffic comes the power, leverage, right? And so... When a Taylor Swift wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm, I can make way more money putting my stuff on Audius mm -hmm. or whatever, like my own damn server yeah, and charging revenue for it, then that's what I'm going to do, yeah. right? Because they'll go wherever I tell them to go. yeah. And these artists that are generating this kind of traffic, they understand that too. Mm -hmm. Those 3,100 new artists that came on board into that club of 10 million plus streams know how to market. They know how to create competitive music. They know how to tour. They know what they're doing. And so we have a lot more savvy people that are just able to make money. And I don't think that five years from now, it would be a stretch for a songwriter of your caliber and your mindset and your business mindset to have a solid six-figure income mm -hmm. from songs that's pretty predictable. Yeah. That's not in a boom and a bust, like starve. Mm -hmm. Instead of feast or famine, it's like starve or famine, right? Yeah, I call it faster famine. Yeah. Faster famine. Yeah. Instead of that, like, it's just like, it's like selling insurance, man. It's like, you know, residual, mm -hmm. they just keep coming in because yeah. they got that traffic. And it takes a while to build that up and to grow that. Mm -hmm. But when artists, when stuff shifts, right? When, when everybody's like, not afraid to leave Spotify mm -hmm. because they know their traffic's going to follow them over here. However, that shakes out exactly. It's going to be met with platforms that are going to pay more money. Yeah. Okay. And that's like the long and the short of it. Like actually with Audius, they allow you to like tip 
the artists and you can buy stuff awesome. on Audius and overpay if you want to do that. Like lots of people love to overpay for vinyl and they don't even have a record player. Yeah. Because they just want to support the artists. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so all these kinds of things, man, they make a big difference. But I think it's decentralized. It's a different business model. So it's weird. But I also feel like it's a lot more consistent. Mm -hmm. It'll be a lot. It's not just going to be up and then gone. Right. It's going to stick around for a while. And I think that you're going to make more money off of more songs for longer mm -hmm. than with the old business. But now it's just it takes a while to build up your catalog yeah. right of song meaning not your catalog of songs that you wrote because that's tremendous but your catalog of songs that are generating revenue online yeah and then the final thing i'll say is with the leverage to what's to stop you know songwriters with a huge track record to say you know what like i'm gonna want some points on the record too if you want me to write with you that is that made to be a whole nother episode but that's a conversation i've been having with some other people lately going okay how does that how does that shake out because i have been hearing about that going here's another way of going so on the royalty calculator, so say 500,000 streams on Spotify, the sound recording, the master, $1,800 mm -hmm. for mechanical and performance. So publishing money together is more like 550 bucks, something like that. So you're like, wait a second. So 550 bucks for publishing, songwriting, that kind of stuff, or 1800 for basically the label, the sound recording. Huh. That's over three times as much. Yeah. If you want to ride with me, how about I get a little sliver of that? Cause that's a bigger pie. And I know some people are starting to do that to say, to make it worth my time. Yeah. I've created that leverage in the music business. Yeah. There you go. And or if you want this song I've already written, Hey, normally I'd send this to somebody further the food chain. Well, how about you level that out by giving me some points on that? Yeah. And that's a whole different process. I don't understand as far as how to open that cash register as a writer, yeah. but that's something that's been, yeah, oh, been happening more. And then, and then here's another thing too, like just strictly on the indie level, right? Just on the indie level, I'm thinking about Randy Barber right now. He's mm -hmm. a friend of the show. He's been on here a lot, Barfrog Music. We just had him on talking about admin and all the stuff he does. But his song, More Than One Year at a Time, was never, 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 never on a major label artist record. Yeah. It was strictly indie, bought and paid for by the artist, mm -hmm. hustled by the artist. And they did so well in 2012. It was the most spun song on Music Row charts, on the Music Row stations, for 2012 songs called more than one year at a time. And it's on the Eric Lee Bettingfield record called this life ain't for everybody. Okay. Now, since then that song's been cut four times mm -hmm. by other artists that generate, I mean, the Jacob Bryan, I think is the biggest one. He's got like 10 or 12 million streams just on that song. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe he's a major label artist. I know when he cut it, he wasn't, he, he was a probably, a high six-figure, seven-figure touring act that didn't have a deal. Mm -hmm. He might have one now, but I don't think he did then. There's one other artist that cut it that did was probably worth three or four or five million streams. And then it just got cut by a major label artist whose name I can't say because it's we don't know if it's going to be released yet. Right, yeah. But so the good song still counts and has the gift that keeps on giving. But there you're talking about one song on an indie record mm -hmm. that you had to be like in the note of like, to find this thing, but now that's been cut by four different artists and generated over, I think, a grand total right now over 20 million streams for one song. Wow, yeah. So I feel like the, the ability is still out there. People are getting more and more savvy how to do this and do this right. 
And they're understanding search better. They're understanding how to get on editorial playlists better. They're understanding how to exploit their own damn copyrights better. Mm -hmm. And to the point where we got 31, I mean, 20% more artists figuring out how to make that minimum $50,000 in cash than the year before. That's astonishing. Those are all indie artists. Yeah. So I think it's better for you. I think it's more money. I think it's more consistent. I think mm -hmm. it's more like a steady paycheck as it begins to build up. Yeah. And yeah, and it's only going to take a couple more key value hits to get a lot more of those indie artists coming to knock on your door like, hey, would you write with me? I've got two million yeah. monthly listeners <laughs> coming to you with their hat in their hand, buddy. Yeah. So I, I think it's good for you. Well, thank you that's for talking me, me off that ledge. Talking to you the ledge. <laughs> I think it works like that. All right, guys. Well, that's it, man. Make sure that you uh, join the Climb community, that you tell a friend about our podcast. If it's helping you, it'll help them. And follow us wherever you are. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.